Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Noah got drunk. Ruth was a foreigner. David, he had an affair. Peter had a temper. Martha was a worrier. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon was insecure. Mary was a teenager. Lazarus was dead. God worked through these people despite their faults. Despite what other people viewed as limitations. God's power works best in weakness. His grace is all we need. So when someone asks, God used who? You can answer, God used me. I sent my mom my Mother's Day card and we did all that and it made me think of just all the times that my mom has been there for me. I've been blessed. I have a, an incredible mom and incredible dad that have been there for me my entire life in ways that I probably can't totally even understand. Uh, but if you walked into my parents' house, you're going to see, and I've tried to get them to take this down for years, and they refuse. Even when I got married, I'm like, okay, seriously, it's time to take this picture down. But they will, they will always have this up, and it's one of these pictures that has all of my school pictures from kindergarten at the very top all the way to my senior picture. And, and I was looking at this, unfortunately, and I'm like, it's interesting, though, because all the different stages of life I've even gone through, uh, from the time that I started my life underneath their, their household, under their roof in their house, all the way to my senior year until I went off to college, uh, they have been with me through so many different and quite embarrassing stages. I'll admit, so up here you have kindergarten and then you have first grade. Go back to that first grade. I appreciate you taking that down quickly, though. That probably needs to. But that first grade picture, I'll, I'll confess, I had a rat tail. I don't know if you can actually see that or not. I had the rat tail. And then you see, I started to change, and I moved into the turtleneck and sweater phase. We've all been there, right? And then you come down here, and then there's the bowl cut. And this wasn't like the fade-ins that we have now. I mean, like, literally just a zzz, bowl cut. Straight up bowl cut, and then we get into my middle school and high school years, which we don't need to share all those right here on stage. Uh, but my mom has been there through every single one of these stages of my life. Whether they were good, whether they were bad, whether they were exciting and full of joy, whether they were full of difficult times and intense conversations and a lot of tears, my mom has always been there for me. Like I said, I mean, you may or may not relate to that. You may or may not have a mom that has been there with you through your ups and downs, through all the different seasons and cycles we go through in life. But what's great is we have a heavenly father who, who is constantly there for us. Through every single season, through every single stage of our life, he is there. Same is true for the nation of Israel. And we see God as a heavenly father doing exactly what he's kind of called us to do, is to constantly be there for his kids. And what has happened, especially in what we're going to look at this morning, the book of Judges. If you have your Bible, head over to Judges chapter 7. But i got to help you understand what, what Judges is all about. What's happened is are there are these different seasons and stages that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, are constantly going through. And it kind of becomes this never-ending cycle of, of loving God, following God, devoted to God, but then being lured away by sin, idolatry in most cases, and then they sin. They fall away from him, they turn away from God, and they're disobedient. And then because of that, they go under some form of oppression. They become enslaved. Something happens where they are then taken over by another regime, another nation, another kingdom, something. 
And, of course, they don't like being under that oppression. And so they cry out to God, God, save us. God, hear us. God, rescue us. God, deliver us. Help us if you're there. And, of course, God hears. And so he sends a judge. That's what judges is all about. God raising up these judges to then pull the nation of Israel back to him. So a judge would come on the scene and rescue the nation of Israel. They would overthrow whatever oppressive government had, had come in to this season for them. And then they would come back to God and say, God, thank you so much for hearing us and delivering us and rescuing us. We will never fall away from you again. And then they start worshiping God. And then you can guess how the cycle goes. That happens over and over again throughout the book of Judges. So every single judge you read about in the book of Judges is God's chosen person to pull them back to him. Every single time they go through this season, go through these stages of their existence, and every single time God is still there. God doesn't cease to ignore them or to leave them to be alone. He raises up a judge to pull them back to him. So we're going to look at the judge Gideon this morning. And moms especially, pay attention to the emotions that Gideon would have been feeling throughout what we read. And this is just a small part of Gideon's story. You can read about how God called him earlier, but chapter 7 is when God has said, okay, Gideon, it's time to fight. Midian, that's the government, that's the kingdom that has come in and oppressed the nation of Israel. So God says, Gideon, it's time for you to rescue my people and, and to attack and to defeat the Midianites to bring his people back to him. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Scripture says, so Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. I would underline that. The Lord said, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who are willing to fight. Now, this is interesting and fascinating, and if you're Gideon, a little depressing, where you are called by God, and, and Gideon was timid to say the least. Again, go back and read his calling. He was not excited about what God was asking him to do at all, and, and had a lot of questions and a lot of doubts and a lot of fears and anxieties. But he finally gets to this point, he's like, okay, God, we'll fight. You promise that you'll take care of us, we'll fight. And so Gideon gathers all of these men with him, 32,000. He's like, okay, we maybe stand a chance. So he gets the 32,000 together and says, okay, God, we're ready. They get up, we're ready to fight, and then God talks to Gideon and says, Gideon, 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 I have a concern with your army. And if you're Gideon, you're thinking, I know they're probably not very well trained. We don't really have enough. Uh, we don't have the greatest weapons. I mean, all of those concerns we would have, he probably lays at, at God and says, yeah, God, I mean, what are you going to do to help? And he's like, I got just the thing. I'm going to get rid of 22,000 of them. He says, you have, what was that phrasing? What did God say? You have... Too many warriors. Now, I am not an expert in the art of war. Part of me wants to think you can't have too many, especially in this kind of a setting where you're just trying to get the numbers to go after a huge army. And God says, oh, you have too many. But what we do see here is great insight into the purposes of God, how God works, where God is, is more concerned with getting all the credit than there to be a, a coincidence talked about. Whereas if the army with full 32,000 goes and fights and they win, God's saying, my concern is that you wouldn't give me any credit, that you wouldn't come back to me, that you would think you did it all on your own. So God starts to whittle down 
Gideon's army say, I want it to be only me. I want this to be answered only by me. And if I step in, you would have no chance of winning this fight unless I step in. God's concerns and our concerns are often very different. And there's a clash of that very, very often. Where God's concerned, man, I, I want to be glorified through this. I want you to know that, that I came through on this. Or we're concerned about what do I need to have in order to get it done. Those two views often clash and don't go together. Verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. So he went from 32,000, 22 left, so now we're down to 10,000. And God says, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his, wa- his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide your men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of them actually drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Now put yourself in one of those 300 shoes for a second. You've already seen your army go from 32,000 to 10,000. And you're a little nervous. You're like, we're supposed to be going the other direction <laughs> with this. We're supposed to be recruiting more, and God's dwindling our army. And But you're like, okay, 10,000, we can still make that happen. And you go down to the water, and, and you start to see a divide. And there's very few on this side. There's 300 on this side, and you have a whole lot more on that side. And then you hear Gideon say these words, you, you all go home. And if you're one of the 300, you're thinking, you know what, I think you made a mistake. I actually drank like they did. I'm going with them. Because I'm not staying put. You're kidding. We're going to fight with 300 men? Now, if you were to keep reading in chapter 8, we actually get a number of how many enemy soldiers there are. You have Midian, you have Midian the Midianites, and its allies totaling over 135,000. Oh, yeah, that's a oh moment. 135,000, and God has cut Gideon's army down to 300. 300 versus 135,000. There's a word for that, an appropriate word for that in, in this context, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. Gideon, like I said, was already timid and afraid to begin with, and now God has taken a huge portion of his army to fight 135,000. He's left with 300, 300 he's left with, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed says, I, I don't have what I need. I, I can't possibly do this. The odds are against me. I mean, we don't have to be a genius or know anything about battles and wars to recognize 300 versus 135,000 is not going to end well. Overwhelmed. But throughout not just this portion of Gideon's story, but Gideon's life, God has made one thing very, very clear. Yes, you may be overwhelmed. You may feel overwhelmed. You may feel that the odds are against you and you are outmatched. In this case, you most certainly are. But you're never alone. And moms, I hope you hear that. You may be overwhelmed. You may be feeling overwhelmed, but you are not alone. Because what tends to happen is when we feel overwhelmed, we begin to isolate ourselves. The, the feeling, the emotion of, of being overwhelmed says, there's a lot that I have to do. And I don't think I can do all of it. I don't feel like I have the time to do it. It's so much for me. Too much versus too little. And we replace it with what I can do. 
And understand, God is trying to move Gideon and the rest of Israel away from I. That has not worked for them. That got them in this cycle. When they just focus on themselves, it got them in this, this cycle of falling away from God and walking away from God. He's trying to get them back to him, to rely on him, to depend more on him. Our culture, our society, even in our families, we're raising our kids to become independent. We want them to do things on their own. Whereas God is saying, I'm growing you and, to develop, and developing you to become dependent on me. It's very different. Yes, to grow independent in our world so we can function in society, function in culture, function in a family. But in our relationship with God, it's upside down. He says, I want you to depend on me and only me. I want you to grow and rely more on me today than you used to. And so what God is doing, we read that earlier in verse 2, God is trimming down the army where they have no choice but to depend and to rely only on God. There will be no other explanation. If Israel wins this war, this battle, there is no other explanation for their victory other than God stepped in. That's what he wants for us. So yes, we may feel overwhelmed. You may be feeling overwhelmed, but you are not alone. God's desire for you is that you would become more and more and more and more dependent on him. Verse nine, story continues. That night, the Lord said, he's talking to Gideon. The Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I've given you victory over them. But if you are, and what's this word? If you are what? Afraid. Yeah, if I was Gideon, I'd be afraid too. Again, he was already afraid. Now he's only got 300 men. He's most certainly afraid. But God says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. Now, if, if you're afraid and you're timid, you're anxious, you're nervous, you're overwhelmed, God's solution, God's answer to Gideon is, Gideon, I know you're afraid. Here's what you need to do. You and just your servant, just the two of you, wander into that enemy camp of 135,000, sneak in and just listen to what they're saying. You'll feel better. And Gideon had to be thinking, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I'm already afraid. Why in the world would I try to get closer to the enemy? Why would I sneak into a camp that has 135,000 soldiers waiting for us? Why, God? But understand that as he as he's trying to find some encouragements and, and glimpses, God has promised him victory through this whole time. And God's saying, look, if you don't trust me, if you don't believe me, if you're still afraid, and he gives Gideon really one thing to do, listen. Go and listen. So Gideon does just that. He takes his servant and he sneaks into the enemy camp, 135,000, somehow doesn't get seen, sneaks in, and he, he comes up next to a tent where there are two enemy soldiers. And they're having a conversation about one of the other soldiers' dreams. Gideon overhears it. That's where we're going to pick it up. Verse 14. These two enemy soldiers are talking. It says, his companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. So Gideon is just like ears up next to the tent listening to the enemies discuss this dream. He's like, they're, they're actually saying we're going to win. Do they know we only have 300? <laughs> they actually think we're going to win. Verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted. He's all pumped up now. Shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes, over the Midianite army and all of its allies. What's fascinating here is 
Gideon got his greatest encouragement from the most unlikely place. Remember, God, throughout Gideon's story, God has constantly been promising, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to win. I've got this. I want me to be, this is my battle. It's, it's about me. It's not about you, and it's not yours to fight. God is trying to redirect Gideon's focus from himself to God. And the same thing for Israel, from themselves to God. And all along the way, God has communicated, I'm going to take care of it. I will give you victory over and over and over again. Yet still, he's afraid. But out of all the things that God has actually spoken to Gideon about, this is all it took. This one small, compared to all the other encouragements God has given, this one small encouragement is all Gideon needed to rally the troops and say, okay, now it's time. Now I believe you, God. And that encouragement, that affirmation came out of the most unlikely place. It wasn't a fellow soldier. It wasn't his servant. It wasn't even the voice of God. It was two enemy soldiers talking about it. Our encouragements, those whispers of victory, those glimpses of encouragement and affirmation, we need to be looking for and paying attention to, but they show up in very unlikely places. So many unlikely places. I'm sure you all are better parents than, than I am, where your house is just impeccable and it's always clean. There's never dirty laundry anywhere and the clean clothes are immediately folded and put away. I'm sure that's all you all. That's not my home whatsoever. We have three kids and it's just chaos a lot of times. And, and except when our life group comes over. Anytime our life group comes over, we clean up really quick. And if we didn't get a chance to clean up, we just have life group outside. And they think it's because of the nice weather. And it's actually because we just didn't clean the house. And, and it wasn't that long ago that we had one of these just chaotic moments where it's like, okay, enough's enough. We got to just blitz the house. That's what we say. It's the house blitz. And so we just start picking up and cleaning up. And, and in, our, in our upstairs room, we've got just the dirty clothes spread out, getting them sorted so we can wash them. The clean clothes are getting folded, and they're all stacked up, waiting to go to whosoever room, wherever they're supposed to go. And, and that's overwhelming. I hate cleaning. Maybe you enjoy it. You're a better person than I am, but I hate it. It's stressful. I get tense. I get a short fuse. Absolutely hate it. And so uh, when my wife told me I had to help clean up, I'm like, of course I will help you clean up. And so it's just a stressful moment, and we're overwhelmed by all the stuff we have to do, but we're getting close. I'm like, okay, the mountain of clothes is starting to dwindle. Things are getting picked up. And then my two oldest boys, Connor and Cole, just blow through the upstairs. And it was just like a hurricane and a tornado and a monsoon and a typhoon and any other natural disaster you could possibly think of follows them. Because all of that work is just going everywhere. They're wrestling and they're playing and it happened in an instant. And I'm getting upset and I'm getting mad because we were so close to cleaning this up. Now I got to start all over again. But then they do something that, that changed my heart somewhat quickly. I won't lie, it wasn't very quickly, it was somewhat quickly. But I look over in the midst of me fussing at them to tell them to get out of the room and to stop messing everything up. This is what I turn around and see. And, and in the moment, you got to understand, like that's really cute and adorable and it looks great on Instagram. On the other side of the camera is me just like, I really want to stay mad at you right now. And I'm still kind of yelling at them to get out of the laundry basket because those are clean clothes I'm going to have to wash again. But this will make me look better if I post this on Instagram because I have such cute kids. Um, but in that moment, it was like this whisper of victory where, man, you know, sometimes even in the overwhelming moments and especially in the messes, we miss moments like this where I'm like, okay, you know what? It is working okay. You know, I've, I've got, you know, these two wonderful kids and one other one. That one was actually behaving. She was asleep in her crib somewhere, so kudos to Colin. But those two, I was like, man, I, I am blessed. 
in the midst of the overwhelming, in the midst of the messes, to be able to look at something like this and say, yeah, it, it, it's a mess, but I'm also very blessed. It's those whispers of victory. It's those small glimpses of encouragement that come from unlikely places. I don't really look to my kids to just encourage me and say, Dad, you're just doing a great job. You're an awesome dad. I don't really look for that at their age currently. <laughs> but in that moment, that's what I felt God was beginning to whisper. In the midst of overwhelming, in the midst of a mess, God is still showing you that he's got you, that he's got your back. So I would encourage you, moms, parents, any of us, as we deal with the overwhelming and we deal with the messes, we have two options. You can look at everything that is overwhelming you and everything that is wrong, or you could say, okay, God, I trust you. You've got this. Don't get it, but I, I know that you've got me. And that's what Gideon begins to do. He's like, okay, God, I'm ready. So he gets his army all pumped up. He says, hey, God's got this, even though we're 300 and they're 135,000. God's got this. He gives the best rally talk to get his men all pumped up, verse 16. So it says, he divided the 300 men into three groups. And he gave each of them, he's about ready to hand out all the weapons to get them all excited. And his men are all pumped up. Yes, it's go time. Let's do this. I don't care if there's 135,000. We're going to own them. Yeah. So they're all pumped up. They're ready to get their weapons. And Gideon passes out. He gives each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. So you're one of these 135, or you're one of these 300 going against 135,000. You're excited. You're ready. You're pumped up. God's got this. And Gideon gives you a trumpet a Tupperware with no lid because nobody ever knows where the lids are, and a flashlight. And you're holding these, and you're like, excuse me? Gideon, you had me up until you handed me the trumpet. What am I supposed to do with these? The word there, the, the phrase there is under-resourced. So now you're not only overwhelmed, you're also under-resourced. You're saying, what am I supposed to do with this? You want me to fight them? You want me to do what with this? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be joking. This, this can't actually be happening. You want me to fight. There's 300 of us, 135,000 of them. You want me to fight them with a trumpet, a torch, and a pot. Really? Overwhelmed and under-resourced. Husbands, dads, when your wife says, hey, I'm going to head out to the grocery store. I need a girl's night out. Will you watch all the kids? That's the feeling they had, but like exponentially larger. I am overwhelmed and under-resourced. You want me to do What? When? For how long? That's what they're dealing with. Overwhelmed and under-resourced. And Gideon is saying, God's got this. It's not about us. It's all about him. Verse 17. Then he, Gideon, then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So once again, he's given instructions, and he's passed out all of their weapons, and he says, as soon as you get to the, remember what scriptures say, to the what? To the edge of camp. So not only is this all they have, now they're to the very edge of camp. They're overwhelmed, they're under-resourced, and they're on the edge. Been there? Overwhelmed, under-resourced. And on the edge. And Gideon says, follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Overwhelmed, under-resourced, and on the edge. I want you to do me a favor. I want to read the last part of this story, last part of this scripture, but I'm not going to put scriptures on the, on the screen. I want you to, to hear this with fresh ears. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to just visualize this last scene. 
you're one of the 300, you're overwhelmed, you're under-resourced, you are outmatched, the odds are against you, and you are going to be coming right up to the very edge of 135,000 enemy soldiers. Here's what happens. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord, not the Israelites, not Gideon, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. Those who were not killed fled to faraway places. Regardless of where you are at, regardless of your life stage, regardless of the season you are in, I want you to hear three things. God is with you. You are not alone. He is fighting your battles. God is with you. You are not alone. And he is fighting your battles. God wants us to grow more dependent on him, to rely more on him. So yes, even when we are overwhelmed, when we are under-resourced, when we are right on the edge, when we don't think we can make it, when the odds are against us, when we're outmatched in every way, God is giving us glimpses of victory and whispers of encouragement saying, I'm with you, you're not alone, and I'm going to win it for you. He's fighting our battles So whether you're a mom, a dad, a spouse, an individual, like I said, regardless of where you're at, know that in the moments of being overwhelmed and under-resourced and on edge, God is with us. We are most certainly not alone, and he is fighting for us. Now, you've heard some encouragements from God's word. I've got to share my heart, but I want you to hear from one other group of people that uh, we often don't listen quite enough to, but are speaking truth nonetheless. And so moms especially, I want you to hear what they have to say. Clean around the house, cook food, get ready for dinner. Cleaning, watching TV. Comes here and sits in living room three and types. He watched TV. She always makes time to come to my games and all into my sister's games. She's always there for me. She's literally my best friend. I can talk to her about everything and anything, and I know that at the end of the day, she's still going to love me the same. So it's just such a good feeling having a person like that in your life that you know who who's always there for you and who's always just going to love you for you. She looks exactly like me, acts like me. Um, snuggly. You know, it's just how joyous she is. She smiles all the time. She's very helpful in everything she does for me. I like that she's really kind and I love my mother. No matter what anybody's going through, she can just be a light for them and be a light for me. So if I ever have a bad day or, you know, whether the good times are good or bad, that she can you know, always bring that joy and light into my life and many other people. I just did. I feel like I don't say this enough, but thank you, Mom, and I love you, and 
Thank you so much for always being there for me. Evan, my mom, I wouldn't be the person I am today without her and that she is the most influential person in my life. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, happy Mother's Day, Mom. I uh, hope it's a great one because you deserve it. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> happy Mother's Day, Mom. Thank you.